We uh, at Ebenezer uh, do not coordinate uh, the sermon messages with what the children learn about upstairs. Um, But this week we are going to be speaking about the armor of God uh, here in the sermon, and that's what they're going to be learning about upstairs. So parents, take advantage of this opportunity uh, to speak to your children about what you heard and ask them about what they heard. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for the ways we have experienced you already today. Uh, the presence of your Spirit is here and it is very real. And so we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us now as we come to your word. Uh, Lord, we are ready to hear from you. And so we ask that you would speak. Make us good hearers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are going to be talking about the reality of the spiritual battle that we are in, as we are called to go and participate in the mission of God. As we consider how God is calling each of us to to go and to enter into the lives of our neighbors and our families and our friends and our co-workers with the good news of Christ, we must be aware that when we do that, we are entering into a very real spiritual battle, a battle between God and the spiritual powers of evil that exist in the world. Now, there are many people in our culture, um, perhaps maybe even many of you here in this room, who are immediately put off or cynical or suspicious of any language or talk about evil spiritual powers demons or Satan or, or devils. I think that that may be uh, things that should be left to fairy tales. Life in our Western modern world is characterized by a denial of spiritual realities, especially the idea of personal evil, uh, demons or Satan. But if we're going to have a biblical view of reality, a biblical view of this world that we live in, we must pay attention to what the scriptures say about these things. We may not fully understand them, we may not fully know what they are, but to deny their existence is to deny the Bible's testimony about these things. Uh, Our good friend C.S. Lewis, who many of you have certainly read, uh, says this about uh, demons. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall into regarding demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The demons themselves are equally pleased by either error. Whether we disbelieve them or whether we engage in an unhealthy interest in them, the demons are pleased by both errors. As we're going to see today, the Bible speaks about the reality of a spiritual battle that is taking place, a battle that we participate in as we enter into God's mission. In the past couple weeks, we've talked about how we are called to go and to enter into people's lives with a message, a message that the kingdom of God is near and a message of peace. This is a message that is to be spoken with words and also to be lived out in action. 
All people in the world, I think, are very aware that peace is not a reality in our world. Peace is not a reality in our world, and all people long to experience peace. We're called to go into the world that we are called to go into the world that lacks peace with a message that peace is possible, a message that the good and perfect rule of God is near, and that there is an invitation to come under his rule and experience that peace. Why is there conflict? Why don't we experience peace in our lives and in the world? What is going on in the world that keeps us and our world from experiencing peace? The reason, according to the Bible, is spiritual. The scriptures teach that peace comes through faith in Christ. That is to say that when we come to know who Jesus is, what his sacrifice on the cross cross accomplished for you and for the world, and when we place our faith in that work, then we live our lives according to the truth of that victory, and because of that we have peace. The reason that there is conflict in the world, the reason that there is not peace, is because of the power of sin and Satan that are set against this peace that Jesus offers. Satan is at war with God, and he is seeking to do anything and everything to keep people from being at peace with God through Christ. The message of Scripture here in Luke and throughout uh, the Bible is that there is something spiritual behind the physical manifestations of evil that keep us from peace. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, going to look at verses 10 through 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Paul says this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." This is a remarkable thing for Paul to say, especially because of what we know from Paul's life. If anyone in the history of the Christian faith uh, has experienced physical resistance, physical suffering because of his faith, it is Paul. Paul knew very well the evil that came through physical hands. In Paul's life, he was whipped. He was spit upon. He was put in prison. He was stoned. He was insulted because of his faith in Christ. So what does Paul mean here when he says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood? Is it not with people's own hands, Paul, that you've been beaten? Is it not with people's mouths that you've been insulted by? What do you mean when you say that our battle is not against flesh and blood? What Paul is saying is that flesh and blood are very real and they can be very evil. But whenever I am attacked, Paul said, says, there is something else going on. 
something deeper and more terrible than meets the eye. There is a spiritual reality that is causing these things to happen. And if we do not recognize that, if we do not fight that battle, that battle with those spiritual realities, then we will never win. If we believe that people, flesh and blood, are our enemy, then we will never win the battle. There is another battle going on as we enter into the world participating in the mission of God. And if we are going to win it, if we are going to see God win it, it requires us to use spiritual weapons. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says that he sends his disciples out as lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Jesus acknowledges the reality of danger as the disciples go on their mission. But who are the wolves, and what is the danger? In Luke 10, what is clear in Jesus' teaching is that their conflict, the wolves that they are going in the midst of, are not the people that they are going to engage with. When the disciples go into a town, Jesus tells them that they may be rejected by people. But Jesus' instructions to them is to not fight those people, not to resist them, or even to try to argue with them but instead to simply go on their way, to wipe the dust off of their feet and go to the next town. They are not to engage in a fight or an argue with these people who are resisting them. But in their ministry in Luke chapter 10, Jesus does speak about a real battle that's taking place in their mission. It is not a battle with people. It is a battle with Satan. In verse 17, The disciples come back and say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus goes on to tell them that they have been given authority over all evil powers in the world. As the disciples went about this mission, they were in a battle. But it was a battle against demons, not against people. In our lives, as we participate in the mission of God, this mission of God to bring a message of peace through Jesus Christ, we will experience resistance from people. People will come against us as they hear us with this message of peace. And that's one of the reasons why many of us do not do it. Many of us are afraid to speak about Christ. We're afraid of the resistance that we will experience if we speak about him. We will receive rejection from others. We will, uh, people will become angry with us. They may insult us, perhaps even become violent. But if that happens, as we are about the mission of God, we must remember that the enemy is not this person in front of us that is rejecting us or insulting us, but is Satan. And because of that, our reaction to these people must be different. Our reaction to those who may resist us in our life as we seek to proclaim the gospel to them, it must be different. We must not fight back, as Jesus says, but instead turn the other cheek. Or in Luke 10, as Jesus says, simply move on to the next person who may be more open to hearing this word. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities and spirits of the kingdom of Satan. The battle we fight is a spiritual battle. And throughout history, this has been a difficult thing for God's people to remember. 
Throughout history, we've seen that God's people have forgotten that the battle that we are in is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in our world. And so let me uh, give you a few examples of what I mean. The Jewish people in Jesus' day forgot who the battle was against. They believed that their enemy was this Roman Empire that had conquered their land. And so when Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, comes with a message of peace, they believed that he was coming to overthrow and conquer this Roman Empire. When they realized that was not his plan, that his plan was to conquer and defeat the sin that was in their own hearts, they rejected him and they killed him. God's people forgot who the enemy was. In Christian history, we know that there are many examples of the church forgetting who the enemy was. Perhaps, perhaps, the, be, perhaps the best example uh, is the example of the Crusades, when the church believed that it was their divine mandate and responsibility to take up the sword and to conquer and to kill Muslims. God's people forgot who the enemy really was. In more modern times, we know that people who claim to be Christians have done terrible things in the name of Jesus. People who have claimed to be Christians claim to uh, have bombed abortion clinics or have threatened or killed abortion doctors, believing that this is what God was calling them to do. God's people forgot who the enemy really was. Now, the example of the Jewish people in Jesus' day and the Crusades and bombing abortion clinics, I and mean, those seem like very obvious ways that the church has fallen into this trap. But I think that there are some more subtle ways that we ourselves fall into this trap as well. One way may be when we begin to identify a political position or a political party with the Christian faith. This happens a bit more perhaps south of the border, but I've found that Christians in Canada can be just as guilty of this as well. Often we see our political victories or our political defeats somehow as spiritual victories or spiritual defeats, as if they were one and the same thing. We often forget who the enemy really is. And I think there's even another, perhaps even more simple and subtle way that you and I fall into the trap of forgetting who our enemy really is. Uh, consider very simply uh, the disagreements or the arguments that you have with another person in your life. You and I often find ourselves in conflict with somebody else. That is part of life. From the world's perspective, and uh, I think too often from our perspective, we see those conflicts with another person primarily as a battle between two people, a battle in which one person is going to be the winner and one person is going to be the loser, and we want to make sure that we are the ones who win. But if we want to approach our conflicts with one another biblically, we will recognize that the other person is not our enemy. That the goal in that conflict between you and another person is not for you to win and the other person to somehow lose in whatever way that means to you, but for both of you to destroy the sin that is in your heart that has led you to be in conflict in the first place. It is very easy for us to forget our enemy, to forget that our enemy is not uh, the person, but instead the enemy is the sin in our own heart and the enemy of Satan who is trying to destroy that relationship, whatever it is. 
In all of these examples that I've used, whether it be the Jewish people during Jesus' day or the Christian Crusades or uh, the bombing of abortion clinics or the confusion of wrapping up our political victories with spiritual victories or even this personal conflict that we all experience, whatever example it is, these are all examples of forgetting who our real enemy is and fighting flesh and blood rather than sin and Satan. As followers of Christ, we are called to enter into the world, to enter into the lives of people, and participate in God's mission of bringing peace and bringing a message that the kingdom of God is near. As we do that, we will experience resistance from people. But we must remember that we are not to fight against those people, but that we are fighting a spiritual battle. And as we fight this spiritual battle, I want to suggest to you that there are two things that we must do as we fight this spiritual battle. And they both come from Ephesians chapter 6. First is that we must put on the armor of God. And second, we must pray. We must put on the armor of God and we must pray. In Ephesians 6, after telling us that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual realities of darkness, Paul instructs us to put on the armor of God. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The armor of God, described as righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. All of these things are spiritual things. They aren't physical. They aren't things that we can go out, say, and buy with money. They are spiritual realities that are developed in us over time. Now return here to uh, the vital importance of spiritual disciplines that I've spoken about over the last few months. Putting on the armor of God, that is, being a person of righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, being able to speak the word of God, these things do not just come, they just not just happen to us. We don't all of a sudden become a righteous person or become a person of peace. It is something that we become over time as we commit ourselves to spiritual practices that the Holy Spirit uses to shape our hearts and minds. Righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, all of these are vital parts of accomplishing the mission that God has for us. But we will not be able to accomplish that mission if we do not first commit to practicing disciplines of prayer, disciplines of studying the Word of God, disciplines of fasting, and of silence. It's through these practices that we are shaped into people who are righteous, people who are people of peace, 
people who do live under the protection of their faith and their salvation, and people who are able to speak the word of God at the right time and in the right season. Some of you may know that uh, just this morning, about one hour ago, uh, a little tennis tournament in England finished up. And I see some friends from Britain in the back we haven't seen in a while. It's good to see you guys. But there was this big tournament uh, called Wimbledon, right? And in the championship was uh, a man named Andrew Murray and Roger Federer. Now, Andrew Murray is the first Brit to be in the finals in 72 years. So uh, Britain's been very excited about this. Uh, But he played Roger Federer. And Roger Federer has won 17 Grand Slam titles and six Wimbledon titles himself. Andrew Murray lost to Roger Federer this morning. I'm sorry if you were rooting for Andrew today, but Roger uh, beat Andrew. I just want to ask the question, how did Roger Federer become such a good tennis player? What did he do in order to do that? Roger Federer through discipline and practice, over time, became the tennis player that he was. He hit millions and millions of tennis balls, ran thousands of miles, did drill after drill in order to be able to do the things that are necessary to win a tennis match. Roger Federer did not just show up at Wimbledon a couple weeks ago, having never picked up a racket and won the tournament. We would never think that that was possible. But I think that sometimes we think spiritually that it's possible to win a battle without practice. As if being a righteous person, being a person of peace and faith, being able to speak the word of God at the appropriate time is something that can just happen to us without practice. It does not just happen. It happens over time as we commit ourselves to spiritual practices that the Spirit uses to develop these things in us. As God's people called to join on his mission, if we are going to enter into the lives of other people and have any success, see any fruit, we must be a people who practice who are ready to be people of peace and righteousness, people of faith, people who are able to speak the word of God at the right time. After speaking about putting on the armor of God, Paul then says in verses 18 through 20, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Pray, 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 pray. Paul says it five times in three verses. Pray. After talking about this spiritual battle, Paul gives the command to pray. Prayer is the primary work that we must do as a people who participate in God's mission. Prayer reminds us that the mission is God's mission and not ours. 
God is the one who will make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not us. God will commission us, give us a part to play in the mission. He will give us the privilege, the opportunity to enter into people's lives and to be people of peace and to speak the good news to people. He will give us the opportunity to sacrifice ourselves in love for others, to serve others. We've been given the privilege to join with God in his work, but it is God who will do the work and win the victory. Prayer reminds us of this. When we spend time in prayer, we are admitting that it is his work to do and not our own. The mission is God's and not ours. He is the one who can conquer the power of sin and Satan in people's lives and in the world. And so we must pray. Dallas Willard, an author that I've quoted a few times here, says that prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. I I like that. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. Participating in God's mission means that we are entering into a relationship with God where we seek to join with him in making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a very broken world. It's almost too troubling uh, sometimes for us to open up the paper and to see the things and to read the things that we read in the paper. To think about the things that we see as really happening today to real people in real places. Sometimes it's too much for us to bear, thinking about the injustice and the suffering that happens in our world. Children dying because of lack of food all over the world. Churches burned and Christians killed uh, in Nigeria because of the faith. War that continues to rage throughout the world. Near to home in our own lives, we see people that are trapped in all kinds of addictions and depression. Substance abuse, sexual addiction, consumerism, loneliness. We live in a very broken world. And when we pray, as Jesus did, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that this brokenness and hurt that we see around us, we're praying that this injustice of our world would be overcome by the healing justice and the peace of the kingdom of God. We are praying that the curse of sin would be reversed and that God would restore all things and make them right again. We are praying that the power of Satan, the one who is against peace with God, that his power would be overcome in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, in our families, in our friends. And we see, we see glimpses of how God is moving in our world. His kingdom is advancing. There is much good work taking place throughout the world as God commissions people to enter into the lives of others with this message of peace and this message that the kingdom of God is near. And if we want to join with God in this work and if we want to see any fruit come of it, we must be a people of prayer. In prayer, we come and we ask that God would act that God's hand would move in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. That he would take the things that are not right that we see, 
that are not in line with his kingdom of peace and that he would make them right. So I want to close today by asking you to join me in prayer. And then join me in prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.